Joy seekers, joy givers, anyone looking for an infusion of joy, you've come to the right place. My name is Deb McGregor, and I'm your host for today. Friends, we have been taking an incredible journey throughout this Lent time together, and we have really been exploring the Holy Land. We've explored the geography. We've explored some of the experiences people have. And today we are going to go another level deeper because we have an incredible special guest with us, Larry Bell. Larry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Deb. Thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to this. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this, and I just it's crazy how the Lord brings people together that you and I met through someone I had actually gone to high school with, and she connected us. I mean, isn't that amazing? Yeah, it is amazing. From uh, from Lynchburg to Montana to Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> I love it. Larry, you and I obviously have had an opportunity to chat a little bit. Uh, let's just give people a little bit of your background. You're a Christian counselor, and you also do teaching even at a local university. Well, I, uh, I do have a uh, private Christian counseling business. Uh, I actually had started, uh, we, uh, my wife and I moved to Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, 10 years ago from West Virginia, and I had worked with the state federal rehab program for a number of years, but decided... Uh, that uh, wasn't as fulfilling as I wanted it to be. I couldn't share my faith, couldn't pray with my clients, so I decided to embark on a uh, opening a, a private Christian counseling business. Uh, people had doubted whether I could do that on a full-time basis in, in uh, north-central West Virginia, but I opened in uh, January of 2002, and by May of 2002, I was seeing 35 to 40 people a week. And then I moved down to, to Lynchburg and happened to be uh, God uh, uh, opened a door to buy a, an existing practice, so I uh, uh, owned and operated uh, Christian counseling services in Lynchburg. But I've taught, uh, I've taught uh, with uh, Walk Through the Bible Ministries, uh, headquartered in Atlanta, initially started by Dr. Bruce Wilkinson for 30 years, and as a result of that, I've been in, I've had, had like, um, I've been in like 250 different uh, churches, uh, uh, doing doing seminars, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, different different seminars, and as a result of that, I've met a lot of people and began taking groups to Israel as a result of that. And um, I've been to Israel 13 times. I, um, I I do it because I I love uh, I love going to Israel. I enjoy seeing Christians uh, uh, be uh, being challenged in their faith and studying the Scripture. The Scripture comes alive in Israel like nowhere else, and. Uh, I don't get paid to do the uh, the, uh, the trips. I do them because I want to, and uh, uh, thankfully, I've been really fortunate to be able to to, uh, to take thirteen different groups to to Israel. And I, if I if I had my uh, if I had my way, I would go a couple times a year, but it's usually once a year. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And I know as we get into you sharing your experiences, you'll talk about going both with tours, but then also actually more by yourself or with one other person. So, Larry, where do we start talking about this journey to Israel? You and I talked about so many things. Where does it feel like the right place to start? Well, I, uh, when when you and I had initially uh, uh, discussed this, I I, I, I I like to talk about um, uh, uh, Israel, and, and there's there are a lot of traditional sites that people visit, but uh, many times when I go, particularly I've, I've had the opportunity to go twice alone and do some hiking and, and have some different experiences, but this 
I, I thought it'd be a good place to start with uh, my experience this past Passover. And um, I had taken a, a group to Israel uh, March 31st of, of 2022, and I sent the group back on April 12th. But I stayed with a, uh, a friend of mine uh, and uh, did just some uh, touring and some hiking that I wanted to do. But the main goal was to, on April 14th, I wanted to be on Mount Gerizim. And uh, the, uh, there, are, there are 850 Samaritans left in the world. Half of them live on Mount Gerizim and half of them live in Holon which is near Tel Aviv. And the, um, they're required every year to, uh, get all, all 850 are required to gather on Mount Gerizim on the Passover and offer uh, sacrificial uh, uh, Passover lambs and goats. And I always wanted to be there uh, to observe this and study, particularly from an original Testament standpoint, the, the sacrificial system. So I was able to, to, to do that um, and uh, my my friend and I went up uh, to Mount Gerizim, and uh, the the Samaritans they, they uh, consider themselves uh, the true Israelites. They uh, this this group of people uh, are part of a group of people that don't believe that they were ever dispersed from the land, and they um, uh, they they all gather together for the Passover sacrifice. I I was there in 2019, and then but not during the time of Passover, but this time was the actual Passover. So we, we we got there about four o'clock in the afternoon, and they had already started um, lighting uh, uh, the uh, fires in these different ovens that would be used for roasting the Passover lambs. And the um, uh, the, the high priest, I've met the high priest there, and there are several priests that are, are, are Samaritan priests. Uh, but around um, uh, sunset, the they begin a procession from the high priest's home. And the, the lambs have already been brought into this uh, sacrificial area. They had been set, uh, set apart and observed uh, for blemish and defect. They were kept in many of the homes there of the Samaritans on, at Mount Gerizim in preparation for the final sacrifice. But the, as, the, the, as the priests uh, uh, led a procession to the sacrificial area, they are uh, singing and chanting some of the uh, Old Testament passages that are connected with the uh, sacro, uh, uh, the Passover sacrifice. So the, they began, uh, the, the sacrificial system. There was one primary altar and then they, um, the, 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 uh, people had gathered all around the priests and they sacrificed, uh, 50, 50 lambs and goats. And, uh, the, uh, the, just being there to experience that was, uh, an incredible learning experience. After they field dressed the, uh, uh, the lambs, uh, and the goats, then they uh, skinned them, and they would uh, they put them on a skewer, and they had put them in these roasting ovens uh, that had been uh, fired up there for now two, over two hours. And what they did was they would place like four animals in each of the uh, roasting pits, put a metal lid on top of it, and uh, then cover it with dirt, and they roasted it for two hours. And then they took took the lambs to their homes, and they consumed uh, the, the lamb uh, in accordance with the Levitical law there. And they didn't, they didn't have any other side dishes with it, just the lamb only. But and one, the one thing that uh, I found fascinating was after the, um, the lamb was uh, uh, slain, they rubbed salt into the, to the uh, animal. And in Leviticus uh, 2.15, they're instructed to, uh, it's a covenant of salt, that they're to rub the, the salt into all of the, uh, and it's to be included in all the sacrifices. 
And I think that that's a very important message there. It, it talked about the perpetual nature of the sacrifices that needed to be offered, and the the um, um, the, the the symbolism there about the Passover lamb being sacrificed and then the blood applied was incredible. Uh, the the Samaritans after the the lambs and goats were slain, they took their finger, dipped it in the blood of the lamb, and applied the blood to the, the to their foreheads, just like Israel applied the blood of the lamb to the doorposts and lentils of their homes. So the Samaritans are a fascinating group, and they've kept together for for all of these years. Uh, they they believe there's there are five prime uh, five primary tenets of Samaritanism. Uh, they believe in one God, Yahweh, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They believe only in one prophet, the prophet Moses. They believe in one holy book, the, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. And they believe the Messiah will come, and he'll be a prophet like Moses. And they believe in the resurrection and eternal life. So this is very important when you, when you, you see, uh, when you come into the woman at the well uh, and her interaction with Yeshua uh, about uh, what was transpiring there. The, the Samaritans believe that Mount Gerizim is where Abraham was de, uh, designated to sacrifice Isaac. So they believe that's Mount Moriah. Well, Mount Moriah is in Jerusalem. But they established their own temple there, and there were a lot of reasons for that. And Yeshua and the woman at the well got in a, in a debate, and she said, Our fathers say to worship on this mountain, your fathers say to worship in Jerusalem. And so they had the, 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 the debate about that. And when I went up there, I, I had uh, my my Jewish friend who describes himself as a secular Jew. He's not Orthodox. And then I, I had met a Samaritan uh, and uh, and hired him to actually take me up, uh, my friend and I up on Mount Gerizim to show us the different sites. And they showed us what they described, the 12 uh, stones of Joshua. They had the altar of Adam and Eve. They had the everlasting hill where the tabernacle was. And then they had Mount Moriah where... Uh, where they believe uh, the sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac took place. <laughs> In the midst of all this, Deb, there, I'm, I'm standing on Mount Gerizim, looking over the valley where uh, Sychar and Shechem is, and that's where the woman of the well and, you, and, and Yeshua met. And I noticed that my Jewish friend and my Samaritan friend were, were kind of ha- having a debate. And it was the, I knew they were debating the same exact issues from 2,000 years before he believed, uh, my friend Zvika, who's my guide, and my friend uh, believes uh, that Mount Moriah is in Jerusalem. Chamron d- believes it's uh, on Mount Gerizim. So they were having this debate, and, and uh, it was kind of getting um, a little awkward. But I, I decided to intervene and because I, and, uh, I knew these tenets of the Samaritans. And I, uh, I asked my friend uh, Zvika to, to uh, explain to my Samaritan friend that I believe the Messiah— has come, and that his name is Yeshua, Yeshua ben Yahweh, Jesus, the Son of God. And he was reluctant to do that, but he eventually did. And the, my Samaritan friend said, well, I have no problem with that. And and what he was saying, I think, was, I don't have a problem with you believing that. But it was fascinating, intriguing to me, that they were having the exact same debate in 2022 that they had, that Jesus and the uh, woman at the well had uh, 2,000 years previously. So, uh, it was, it was an, an, an incredible, an incredible experience. And when you think about the sacrifices in the, the original Testament, uh, the, uh, uh, all of the sacrifices in the original Testament were of an atoning nature. Uh, they, they covered sin. They didn't take away sin. 
And when John the Baptist uh, introduced Jesus at the Jordan River, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So all of the sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament pointed to the cross. They were down payments. They covered sin. But uh, according to uh, Peter, when he wrote in 1 Peter 1.18, and then the writer of Hebrews said that Christ was sacrificed once for all. That put an end to the need for any further sacrifices, and one of his uh, one of Christ's final sayings on the cross was to tell us die. It is finished. The, the original Testament sacrificial system was completed, and now as they look toward the cross 2,000 years, uh, uh, all the Old Testament sacrifices look to the cross. We have the opportunity to look back 2,000 years to the cross. So the cross is a pivotal uh, uh, moment in human history, in my opinion. Uh, so that uh, that was that was just a very unique experience there in, in, uh, with the Samaritans. Well, one of the things that just really, there's a couple of things that strike me is one is actually sort of bringing the woman at the well to life a little bit more. Like this is obviously a profound place in scripture that we often talk about, but you're bringing it to life even more. The second thing is, Man, what an incredible blessing to be able to have this experience that you have. How many people go to the Holy Land and never get to experience the Passover? Well, I, I, I know that there are a lot of people that I've been to Israel, uh, but and not on Mount Gerizim during the during the Passover. Uh, and I know that there are a lot of groups that go during the Passover and experience uh, the 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 observance of Passover, like in Jerusalem and different places. But to be on Mount Gerizim. And actually, see the sacrificial uh, system being implemented uh, was was unique for me. I'm not sure uh, there were probably there were 850 Samaritans there uh, on Mount Gerizim, and I want to say if there were probably 35 or 40 non-Samaritans uh, that were there. So it was a very small crowd. Israel had just opened up after the pandemic, so it was a really it was a really good time for me to be there, and um, I. Uh, uh, it was an, a great opportunity. I, I got to share my faith on Mount Gerizim, uh, overlooking Jacob's Well, and that Jacob's Well is uh, is an actual. It, it's actually there. We. It's one of the. When I go to Israel, I like to say, "Hey, this site we know archaeologically is the real deal." Uh, these other sites uh, are commemorative sites, which commemorate a certain event. But Jacob's Well is still there in uh, in, in Sychar, where the woman of the well was. So you can actually go there and see that. That's amazing. Larry, we're going to take a quick break. This has been phenomenal already, and I know there's more to come because we've kind of covered the Ark of the Covenant here. Um, Friends, we're going to take a brief pause. We are speaking with Larry Bell. We're talking all about his incredible experiences in the Holy Land. This is Deborah Greger. We're going to take a brief pause. Don't go anywhere. This is Deb McGregor of Life Full of Joy and Live Joy, Share Joy. I like to be infused with joy all the time. Every Monday through Friday, I do an Infusion of Joy video on Facebook and Instagram. I cover a topic related to joy and provide insights, perspectives, and distinctions, as well as offer an opportunity for you to continue digging even deeper into your own joy. Make sure you're following me on the Life Full of Joy Facebook page and on Instagram at Live Joy, Share Joy. Live Joy and Share Joy. 
Realtors Noemi and Harry Aylesworth are happy to share they are now affiliated with Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate First Choice, serving all of your real estate needs in Bemidji, Bagley, Black Duck, Cass Lake, and surrounding communities. They are dedicated to finding you the home you deserve. Whether you're selling or buying property, they will serve you with honesty and integrity. You can expect a better real estate experience. Life takes you many places. Let Team Aylesworth, Noemi and Harry of Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate First Choice take you home. This is Deb McGregor of Live Joy, Share Joy. Can you imagine getting a text right to your phone that is all about joy? Every Friday, I send out a joy note. This is a message of encouragement, contemplation, insight, and more. If you want to receive a joy note right to your phone, text the word joy to 218-248-6556. I look forward to sharing more joy with you on a weekly basis. Let's build a community of joy. This is Deb McGregor, Live Joy, Share Joy. We are speaking with Larry Bell, and we are talking all about his incredible experiences that he has had in the Holy Land 13 times, you said, Larry, correct? That's correct, Deb. Ah, That's amazing. I I just love this. So thank you so much for already sharing these incredible experiences um, with the Passover. I know you also have had some profound experiences on the route to the Ark of the Covenant. Let's, Let's go there next. All right. Sounds good. The, the Ark of the Covenant, let me give you a, a very brief history. Um, when Israel uh, left uh, Egypt uh, during the Exodus, that was about 1447 B.C., and they came to Mount Sinai. They're gathered around Mount Sinai. Um, uh, God reveals to Moses that he's going to show himself in a special way to them. And as they're reverently preparing after three days, uh, they look up Mount Sinai, and this smoking furnace of a cloud descends upon Mount Sinai, and there's lightning and there's thunder and there's smoke and fire and there's there's the an, an earthquake and there's a sound of a shofar and it was a visible manifestation of the presence of God sometimes that's called the Shekinah glory of God Shekinah is actually a derivative of the Hebrew word Mishkan which is the word for tabernacle and when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and and inter- interacted with God for 40 days he basically received two bits of information he received the law code the 613 uh, laws of Torah, and he also received the instructions on how to build the tabernacle and implement the sacrificial system. Uh, so the tabernacle uh, is, is, is Mishkan, it, it, and it's the dwelling place of the presence of God. That has profound uh, uh, application to us as believers because uh, this was a visible manifestation of the presence of God. And in, in the Gospel of John, John 1.14, said the Word, Christ, became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. Uh, so uh, he was the, uh, the, in the, the original Testament, we have the shadow, so to speak, and then the substance of the reality of the truth of God is fulfilled in Christ. So uh, the visible manifestation of the presence of God. The first article of furniture that uh, Moses was instructed to to uh, construct was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was made out of acacia wood, a very hard wood uh, that's plentiful throughout the wadis there in the in the uh, uh, Judean uh, and, and Sinai uh, area. And it was a, a box that had two components. There was a, it was 45 inches uh, long, 27 by uh, inches wide, 27 inches high, and it was overlaid with pure gold. And the top part of the box uh, that, that covered it uh, was, uh, had two cherubim angels facing each other. 
uh, and the uh, it was it was also overlaid with pure pure gold. So the the Ark of the Covenant becomes very prominent during the Day of Atonement. The the only article of furniture in the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. And after following a a, a series of prescribed uh, regulations, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies one day a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and he would bring a bucket of bull's blood and a, and a censer full of incense, which would fill that cubicle uh, up with smoke. He would take his finger and dip it in the blood and apply it between the cherubim angels there on the Ark of the Covenant, making atonement every year for, for Israel. Now, I want, to, I want you to keep in that, that in mind because there's a profound picture that we're going to see as we come into the pages of the New Testament and the end of the ministry of Christ there uh, during the resurrection. But uh, one thing that I had always wanted to do was follow the route of the Ark of the Covenant, and I, I did it over time. Uh, I was at Mount Sinai in 1999, but in, uh, in 2019, uh, my, a friend of mine who lives in Ashdod and I traveled to every location that's mentioned in the, uh, in the, in the scriptures there where the Ark of the Covenant was in the land of Israel. For example, we went to uh, uh, we went to Mount Gerizim, we went to Shiloh, uh, we went to, to at, uh, the the, ta- the Tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant was at Shiloh for a great period of time, 369 years before David was going to move it eventually into Jerusalem, and then his son Solomon would put it in the, in the into the temple. But in uh, a, in a battle against the Philistines in 1 Samuel 4, the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. And the Philistines uh, were pitted against Israel at the Battle of Aphek and Ebenezer, and they captured the the Ark. They moved the Ark to a a couple of uh, cities there, Philistine cities. Ashdod, they put it in the Temple of Dagon. They moved it to Gath, uh, because what happened in in Ashdod, God sent this plague of, like, uh, uh, tumors, really uh, uh, painful tumors, and the people said, "We don't want to. We don't want this anymore." And their god, in quotes, Dagon, had actually fallen uh, in worship uh, there of the true and living God at the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. So they moved it to Gath. Same thing happened to Gath. They moved it to Ekron. Same thing happened at Ekron. And then they eventually moved it to Beth Shemesh. Um, and at and at Beth Shemesh, uh, they decided they they weren't going to keep it there, and the Ark was going to be moved to Kiryat Jerim which is about seven miles north of Israel. All of these cities, Deb, uh, Shiloh, uh, Aphek, Ebenezer, uh, Ashdod, Gath, and Ekron, uh, and Beth Shemesh, all have archaeological remains. So we know where these sites are, uh, were, and we could travel and follow the Ark of the Covenant until it becomes uh, permanently located in the Temple of Solomon after he inaugurates the Temple. So... The, the Ark of the Covenant is a fascinating study, and it's a fascinating study to, to read about and then to have the opportunity just to spend a, a week being at each of these sites is incredible. The, there's a church in Kiryat Jerim that actually has the Ark of the Covenant on the top of it, uh, which is it's a, it's a very unique church in Israel. I don't believe that there's any other church that has that. Uh, so anyway, David is going to move uh, the Ark of the Covenant uh, eventually into the city of David, which is uh, Jerusalem. And Solomon's going to then put it in the in the on the Holy of Holies. Now, when you tie this in to, to this, this to me is one of the most fascinating uh, things that God has ever shown me. And this was many years ago. Uh, I was reading about the resurrection, 
And you remember the, uh, the disciples received a report that uh, the, the, uh, the Christ is resurrected from the dead. Peter and John take off to the garden tomb. Uh, John gets there first. He was probably in a little better shape than Peter, but Peter gets there. And he's, uh, John is standing outside. Peter looks in, and he's wondering what's happened here because they see that the, the body's been taken, the grave cloths are there, and John believed that the, uh, the miracle of the resurrection had taken place. Well, shortly thereafter... One of my favorite characters to, to study about uh, is the special relationship that Yeshua had with Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb, and, and when she looks in, what did she see? She saw the stone slab where the body of the Lord had been laid. They, she saw an angel at the head and an angel at the foot of the, where the Lord's body was. And in their lane, uh, in between those angels, were the blood-stained uh, wrappings of the, the funeral wrappings of our Lord. That, to me, was a completed picture of what happened at the Day of Atonement. The high priest put the blood between the cherubim angels. Our high priest, Yeshua, uh, came into the Holy of Holies there at his grave, and there's an angel at the head, an angel at the foot, and then his, his, uh, uh, the wrappings that they, they prepared the body would have been blood-stained. And, he, and then the tomb is empty, uh, he ascends into heaven, and salvation is complete. Amen. So, I mean, it's just, it's just an incredible uh, study and picture. And, and I love archaeology. I love to, uh, to study the, uh, uh, the, 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 the different sites. But being able to follow the route of the Ark of the Covenant was, was a real highlight for me. Now, you had mentioned about uh, the third temple. There will be a third temple. Uh, in the Jewish quarter right now, there's a, uh, uh, a, a prominent uh, uh, office there. It's called the Third Temple Institute. They have already constructed the uh, golden menorah. In fact, the golden menorah is on display in the uh, Jewish quarter, and it's about six foot five inches, has 95 pounds of, of gold in it. Uh, and at, at today's rate, I just checked that this morning, it would be worth nearly $3 million. And it's on display behind like bulletproof glass there in the Jewish quarter. The, so the, when you came into the holy place, there were three articles of furniture, the golden menorah, uh, then the uh, altar of incense, which was about four feet high, continually offering incense with, uh, to the Lord, which was is symbolic of the prayers of a believer. And then to the right, as you entered in, was the table of showbread, which had 12 loaves of unleavened bread, uh, one loaf for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then, interestingly enough, the, yeah, the 12 disciples and different, different times the number 12 is significant. Now, they already have the altar of sacrifice ready to go. They also have the brazen laver, which was in the outer courtyard. All of these implements, including all the pitchforks and the knives and things like that that you have to have for implementing the sacrifices, are ready to go. There are a group of people called the Kohanim, which were the, the Levit Levitical priesthood, they are already practicing how to uh, implement uh, the sacrificial system in the next in the in the third temple, and have already sacrificed Passover lambs. Uh, one was on uh, uh, Mount uh, uh, Mount of Olives, overlooking the Temple Mount, and this year they were trying they're trying to get it approved where they can actually offer one uh, on the southern steps of the Temple Mount, which would be it gets keep, it keeps getting closer to the actual uh, Temple Mount area, but the Ark of the Covenant cannot be rebuilt. It has to be dis, uh, uh, revealed. They're not allowed to construct that. And in 1967, when, uh, on June 5th, 1967, Israel retook control of the Temple Mount. 
And and uh, at the Temple Mount is one of my favorite places to be. That's where the first and second temples were. You you look there now. There's the Dome of the Rock, which was completed in uh, 961 uh, A.D., and then the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which was in uh, like 700 A.D. But the Dome of the Rock is over the foundation stone of creation. That's what the Jews refer to that. There's this huge rock in there, and when you study the history of that, uh, that to me is the, that area is where the first temple and the second temple uh, were were located. When Israel took control of the Temple Mount, they be, immediately began excavating uh, underneath the, what we would call the wet. Uh, a lot of people refer to it as the Wailing Wall, but it's the Western Wall, the Western Retaining Wall. And there are, uh, if when you're standing on the Western Wall Plaza and looking there, it's 62 feet tall, and there are 28 courses of stone. But you can go underneath that to the rabbinic tunnels, the Western Wall Tunnels, which takes you down to street level at the time of Christ. There are 17 more courses of stone, all kinds of uh, different rooms and, and, uh, and passageways underneath there. And Shlomo Goren, who became the chief rabbi of Israel, was in charge of the excavations in 1967. In his writings, he said he discovered the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the the uh, uh, Arabs heard heard noise underneath the uh, uh, the dome towards the dome of the rock, and they rioted and shut down the excavations. So they had to seal some of the areas. And I know for sure that uh, there's an area sealed down there. In his writings, he said he, the Ark of the Covenant's in there. And uh, the, the only thing I know, God's got it. God, God's got it covered. Uh, he's going to reveal it in His time. And I think there's a good possibility that Israel already has it. There's a fascinating uh, book uh, uh, by Lean Ritmar on the. Uh, he's a Dutch archaeologist about the uh, the Ark of the Covenant and the Temple, and, and his conclusion is the same that I just told you that it was uh, located there on that rock, the uh, the dome of the uh, underneath the dome of the rock. There's a, a, a carved out rectangle that's the dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant. I think it sat in there and there was a platform uh, that was built up around it in the Holy of Holies. Wow. Well, one thing we know for sure, God knows, right? <laughs> hey, God knows for sure. That's, that's for right. Sure. Larry, I, I feel like we could go on and on. You are so knowledgeable. Your wisdom, your, oh my gosh, they're just, there's so much here. Thank you so much for joining us to share your experience, your knowledge, your wisdom, your biblical knowledge. Like, I feel like I had a lot of gaps that got filled in for me just listening to you today. Thank you so much. Well, you're very welcome, and maybe we can do it again sometime. And if uh, if anybody would want to get a hold of me, they're welcome to, to do that. I can give you my contact information if you'd like. That would be great. Let's go ahead and share that with everyone. Okay, my uh, email is lbresolutions at yahoo.com, and I'm on Facebook, and uh, also, you, uh, I don't mind getting a text or whatever at 434-944-6755. So if anybody would be interested in more information or uh, even even getting a group, a group together, if you wanted to go to Israel, I'd be glad to, to work with them on that. Larry, thank you so much, and thank you for sharing that information. I have a feeling your your phone might be buzzing. Um, thank well, you so much, and uh, thanks for, like I said, filling in the gaps, sharing your experience, and uh, and best wishes on your next trip. 
Uh, Lord willing, it'll be in October. So I uh, hope hope to uh, have some more experiences there. All right. Thank, thank you so much. And yeah, God's blessings to you. Friends, we want to thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us for this amazing series that we've been doing on Lent here on Live Joy, Share Joy. And we want to remind you to go out, live, share, and lead with joy. This is Deb McGregor. Have a great day.